Hello and welcome to the Modern Activist Podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Watkins, and today we're going to discuss growing up in a British society as a Muslim. I'm going to be joined by my brother from another mother, Iqbal Ahmed, who is going to discuss his experiences growing up in Cardiff as a Muslim. Hello, Icky, and welcome to the podcast. Yo, yo. How are you? I'm really well, thank you, Kate. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Oh, should we say assalamu alaikum? Walaikum salam. Well, there we are. <laughs> what have you been up to during lockdown? Um, you know, uh, like the usual, we've had some good weather, so we do mm. some gardening, walking the dog, um, just been working really hard as well, to be honest, doing jobs yeah. that I never thought I'd ever do, working in a warehouse, imagine yeah. that. Um, but yeah, so just been doing things differently, I guess. Being a key worker. Yes, front line. <laughs> you want your Amazon packages on time? <laughs> I'm your man. So, X, we're here today to discuss growing up as a Muslim in a British society. Do you think that as a brown Muslim child, your experience growing up differed from the childhood of a white child? Hmm. Interesting. Um, do I think that my childhood... Yes. Um, ultimately, of course it does, because it... but growing up as a Muslim, growing up uh, from an Asian background, um, we have traditions such as Eid that are not mm-hmm. national holidays here, if you like. And growing up with different, I wouldn't say challenges or setbacks, um, from your home perspective, you're, in fact, you, you know, you, you grow up learning three languages, uh, you know, so from, from a young age, you're learning Arabic because you're reading the Quran because mm-hmm. that's like mandatory to be a Muslim, you read the Quran, so you're learning Arabic, um, you're learning your mother tongue, which is Bengali, um, and you're also learning English in school. So, yeah, like, obviously you have challenges in that sense where you know you're learning two languages where you know my best friend who was sam at the time he was learning one language um or yeah. two welsh as well don't forget welsh of course yeah so yeah four languages if you like yeah. <laughs> um yeah so i wouldn't say there were many challenges in that aspect um but growing up in an asian household the biggest challenge you would probably face is you know as we probably wouldn't sleep until you know m- you know when you're young, young age you're sleeping at 11 12 o'clock you're waking up again for school at seven o'clock, so your t- mm. your timing is a bit different, yeah. Yeah. Were you ever treated any differently at school? I grew up in Cardiff, if yeah. you, know, you, you know that, Kate, of course. I grew up in Cardiff, so, you know, as multicultural as it gets, I think, I think mm. uh, in primary school, in nursery primary, and in high school, I know it's you guys call it secondary school, but yeah. so called high school, old school. Um, so yeah, the, no, uh, because the majority of people were of ethnic background. So you know, you had a lot of Pakistani people, you had a lot of Bengali people, you had a lot of Somali people, you had a lot of white people. Um, so you know, everyone really um, just got along. You know, from a young age, from nursery, you were introduced to people who were different to you. So. No, I don't think in like school life. No, it was it would you would never encounter in somewhere like Cardiff. You would, I don't think it's very rare that in Cardiff you you know encounter high school levels of racism or anything like that. Or yeah, you know, being treated differently by your teachers because they've probably teach your uncle um, who is twenty years your senior. So they used to seeing p- people of difference or people of different colors, or different backgrounds. So yeah. Do you think that because you grew up in a city, your experience differs? to maybe a child who grew up in a town where it might be more white or conservative? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yes. I think, you know, we're fortunate in the sense that, you know, like we say, a multicultural society, um, you can fit into that quite easily and not be pulled out for being different or, you know, 
but yes, I've you know certain examples like throughout my life later on when I've you know I've gone to smaller towns or I've worked in a, a place called Chapster where you're from. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I worked in Chapster for a very very long time. Yeah. You know. So yeah, I experience you know the contrast is 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 crazy because. Cardiff is so multicultural and you will always see a person of a different colour, of a different background, you know, LGBTQ, you might use, name it, you can see all different types of people because it's a, it's a city. Yeah. Um, but in Chapstow, it's, you know, you won't see people who are Asian, for example, you know, I remember in Chapstow, I wouldn't see a, a person of colour, but a black person, you know, for months and months and months. And when you saw one, you'd be like, hey, hello. You know, because you do, you don't expect it in Chapstow. Yeah. In Chapstow is predominantly white, and you know you don't you don't see people. Well, when I was growing up here, through my teenage years, I can't remember seeing another Asian person really. Yeah. Do you have any memories of the racism or if Islamophobia that your parents faced? My parents, yes, through the eyes of my parents, yes, I remember seeing it myself. Um, my dad, uh, you know, he was a businessman. He had restaurants, and that was his trade. And um, his first restaurant was in Pontypridd, uh, which is just up um, the A470, if anybody knows it. Lovely place now. Um, mm. Back in those days, you're talking, you know, 20, 20 years ago. 20 years ago, it was, a, it was a different place. It was a place where, you know, you could say, you know, the heart of the valleys. It was it was all coal mining towns uh, with a small centre, which was known as Pontypridd. And we had a restaurant there. And uh, my dad was probably the first Asian you know, a lot of people had ever come across. And, um, yeah, his experiences, they were, you know, quite grim uh, in yeah. the beginning. I mean, in terms of one story that stands out um, for me growing up, I remember, you know, I remember many times my dad came home and after he'd had, you know, been in fights and you know, bruised and battered and things like that. I remember one time his shoulder socket was fractured and his mm. shoulders dislocated because... It just it was just a massive fight with people who you know it wasn't just uh, you know subtle racism it was outright you know you're a packy you shouldn't be here yeah. I'm gonna have your food I'm gonna walk out and there's nothing you could do about it because the police you know in those days would be reluctant to come out if an Asian person called and said there's trouble in the shop that they you know they mm. were in a part of that community if you like um so the the story that stands out was my dad. After a few years, you know, his business was really successful at the time, and he bought him he bought himself a uh, a nice car, Jaguar, at the time, and he was it was a pride and joy, and somebody etched into the um, bonnet of it while we were in work, and his car was parked in the car park, uh, packy bastard, <laughs> and I remember my dad's reaction because that stays with me uh, yeah. and, uh, until this day. Uh, obviously, it would as a young child you Definitely. you see that. Yeah, it was it was, you know his reaction was just to laugh just to laugh at it and say well you know like yeah. I know where I've come from my progress this is a sign of my progress and if somebody can vandalize something of importance to me or something of value to me yeah. then uh, somebody who came here with nothing it means everything so and I think that Aww. sticks with you because you think you know okay yeah fair enough dad like if it was me I'd be really angry and I'd you know probably be dealing with my emotions in a different way but mm -hmm. with them it was more like okay well that's fine because this is a sign of my success if you like yeah do you think that society is different now to when you were growing up yes uh yes society is, is, has definitely changed since me me growing up and i think maybe for the worst i hate to say uh, yeah. but 
it's got it's got it's got it's gone in, in a sense it's become less accepting but more information driven so people can find information now they can type into google you know what does this mean or what is the quran and you will find out instantly uh, you know a thousand articles referencing what the quran is and what it what is islam and what is being a muslim or how to become a muslim or you know all of those things so in that sense from when i was growing up we didn't have you know smartphones we could just google things uh in my teenage years you know the latest phone was a 3210 if you guys know what that is or if you don't google it because trust me it's a laugh um so information wasn't readily available uh, for me when we were growing up or you know for my peers or people who I grew up with information was sought out through parents and through teaching and through um, books if you ever went to a library but again when you know when we were younger yeah I still remember we used to go to the library and we had to rent our books who does that now not many people I don't think yeah definitely and so Boris Johnson our prime minister likened Muslim women wearing burqas to post boxes how did that make you feel that your country is run by someone with these racist views? Well, yeah, yeah, that was an interesting statement to make. Um, I, I don't think it angered me at all. From from mm. you know from what I can recall, from what I can recall, how I felt was almost like well, it's expected now. It's it's it's, it's almost like something that you expect. It's mm. an expectation to be tarnished or labelled or to be made to sound like you know you're you're always the culprit or you're always the bad or the villain or the you know if you're a part of islam or you're part of uh, you know growing up as a muslim or being a muslim then it's 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 always whether it's our politicians or whether it's our media outlets it's always a negative and you know people people like myself i think we've we grew up in an era where you know through my teenage years you know 9-11 happened and so many people yeah. lost their lives and you know extremism and um terrorism were rife then you know it was it was everybody associated islam with terrorism and everybody associated being a muslim with some a connotation of a bad word you mm. you'll never see in you know mainstream media in a newspaper in the tabloids you'll never see muslim with something positive very rarely you'll see something muslim or islam in the same sentence as something positive or something good or something mm. charitable or noble which it should be represented which is the majority Definitely. of muslims represent islam in a i think in a noble way and they do a lot of good things for society for humanity and but unfortunately what makes the news is people like boris johnson who are our world leaders who are politicians who yeah they can say things like you know robbers and letterboxes and yeah i think that inspires just more hatred and rhetoric of people people just yeah diminishing the name of you know people who are Muslims, there's two billion Muslims out there, you know, not all of them are letterboxes or not all of them are terrorists, but people who, who wear niqab or hijab or, you know, who choose to represent themselves or show themselves in a certain way of Islam, of a belief, of a way of living, are represented by our politicians, our prime minister as, you know, bank robbers and, mm. you know, described as letterboxes. It's just inhumane, but again, yeah. It's something that's happening in media quite uh, uh, all across the world. You know, Islam and Muslims are represented as 
inhumane as letterboxes, if you like. I think as well something that was quite like disturbing about him saying that was the way that reporters and newspapers told the story. And if you saw on like social media, for example, I looked on Facebook and at the comments, it was people just saying, you know, freedom of speech, everyone was defending him Mm -hmm. rather than defending the Muslim women that he was offending and -hmm. objectifying by this comment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as as I mentioned there, like uh, for me growing up, as you can imagine, I think I was 10 or 10, I would have been above 10, you know, when Mm -hmm. 9-11 happened and... uh, it changed everything, you know, it changed everything for being a Muslim and it changed everything for, um, you know, openly having the surname Ahmed, you know, yeah. because instantly, you know, that I think two of the terrorists or three of the terrorists had Ahmed in their surnames or in their middle names and it instantly does change things for you. And as you said, yeah. that, you know, like with our politicians making remarks like that and freedom of speech is something that I stand with and I think, is it, you know, freedom of speech is so important to you know yeah. in the modern day people should be allowed to speak and you know be heard but in terms of like in a social media platform in a social media format where is the difference between hate speech and freedom of speech like we had you know it, it, you know islamic scholars apparently there were scholars you know mm. you know hamza chowdhury and you know people like that who were actually imprisoned for hate speech for saying things like violent things or you know for say for discriminating against people or of people of a different culture creed religion so i think yeah with freedom of speech it's it's so important but at the same time you know like politicians and our leaders should be so careful of how they use freedom of speech and and because in you know if you look at social media like look at britain's first for example or like in the the previous to that the english defense league um you know is that freedom of speech or is that inciting hatred because you know mm-hmm. it's down to interpretation i guess um but again i i look at those things on facebook and things and it just you don't you're not surprised anymore you're just like okay yeah well, mm. you know i honestly think it's ridiculous that those kind of pages are still allowed to be on facebook mm-hmm. because what do they actually expect them to post you know like britain first that is synonymous with practically yeah. racist views you know yeah exactly and i, and I mean the, the the thing is like i get told by my partner or you know, ria all the time she's like oh, mm-hmm. you know don't read the comments or don't look at it because it does actually it hurts you it hurts you in a in a place where it's difficult to explain because it's it's so deep and it's so horrible because you know you see people who are like you and you think okay well yes i understand like you know people have the right to speak and people have the right to air their opinions like Tommy Robinson for example he has the right to air his opinion mm. but to go and incite hatred or going to incite people's reactions or uh, provoke people and then say you see like you know he always says things like you see how these people are they're barbaric and you know the the media the sun uh, the daily mail use these words it's rhetoric and it's com- always yeah. like I said is word association as well they associate Islam in the same sentence as all of these words. And as soon as you say barbaric, you're going to think Islam. As soon as you say, you know, violence or terrorism, because terrorism is exclusively a brown person problem, is it? Because mm-hmm. it isn't. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people who are older would he- would know and hear about the IRA, who were, you know, we won't get into the IRA, but again, they were Catholic, white, 
men and women yeah. from Ireland who well, are terrorists. And... You can still join the KKK online. Like that's you crazy, can actually fill in a submission that's, form that's to crazy. join them. Yeah, like, that's mental. Yeah, and I mean, I I I think like with with it's it's just all falls into Islamophobia for me. You know, like if the politicians are going to say things like that, then people like Tommy Robinson will have it will use freedom of speech and go on you know social media platforms and have thousands of likes and thousands of shares and thousands of followers even we've seen with the black lives matter movement you know people on facebook were they defending statues of slavers and you know yeah. saying that you know they they're going to stand stand here and you know defending cenotaphs and things like that which again i think i don't think you know violence or you know vandalism is the way forward to achieve anything uh, anymore but then again shout out to iraq you know, the war in Iraq, yeah. because I think if you look into that and look into the change in society and the change in religion and people in general, since since those times, it is stifling because so much hatred has come from places like that. Being both sects, like, so you can see, you know, in Islam, like, you know, they're angry and they're, you know, out for revenge and things like that. Well, to be honest, you have to understand that, you know, our country, we partook in a war that wasn't just, and we dis, you know, we we disintegrated a society, a way of living, a culture, a religion, and a lot of people lost everything in, yeah. you know, in war, and there was no, there was no other way to put it, but it was, you know, it was a shit time for them, you know, mm. so it breeds, so those things breed into, you know, problems that we face today and the problems that we're gonna have in the future, and it's. It, it is it is shocking. It is shocking, but at the same time, you are almost like as a Muslim, you're almost numb to it now. Yeah, that's really sad. How it's kind of desensitized, mm, and the exactly, fact that people weird. don't even bat an eyelid at the fact that you just see it on the Daily Mail's thing, and you just think, "Oh, there's another one," you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, it's just another one, and also like you just dehumanize people. So mm. uh, you dehumanize the fact that you know the. the that that's a person, that's somebody's son or somebody's daughter, who's you know Shamim Begum, for example. You know, yeah. That was a, a, such a topic, and it divided people greatly. Definitely. It, 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 it's incredible because to think or honor or because Shamim Begum and me, we I could say that we had a similar upbringing. Yeah. We had a similar family background, mm-hmm. but look look at the difference. She chose a path. But nobody really knows exactly why she chose that path and she went on to that path and now she's completely stuck in a, in, a, in a world between two because people say, oh, you know, she shouldn't be allowed back into the country and other people will say, well, yes, she should be allowed back into the country because she's a British citizen and she should be trialled in the country mm-hmm. and face the law and made an example of. But again, it's, it's, I think it's like it, in my modern in my modern history, I always refer back to like certain big events like 9-11, like the, the war in Iraq. And I think, you know, a lot of the problems that we're facing today are rooted from those issues because they were massive. They were m- things that rocked the world kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it created so many more issues that still haven't been dealt with. I think as well, going back to um, Shamima Begum, is the fact that there is such a double standard in the fact that she is she was a child when she was when she left and although you know she was a teenager and she does have her own thoughts she was vulnerable sure. and if she was a white girl 
they she would have been they would have said she was kidnapped they would have said she was brainwashed they would have used all different words instead of now describing her as letting a terrorist back in the uk you know Mm -hmm. exactly yeah so that again that's another interesting point there because that's like when i look at news as well i see word association all the time and i see like bias and it's the bias is unbelievable because mm. it's, it's just like we were talking earlier about, you know, about extremism in, you know, far right, uh, white uh, societies like in America, high school shootings predominantly by white people, um, not exclusively over his, you know, it's not like a historical fact that it's always white people because that's yeah. wrong, but it is, it's, it's mostly in our modern history, it's white people, white teenage boys or white men who do the, who do mass shootings in Las yeah. Vegas, for example. Uh, but they're, ne- they're never called terrorists because the word terrorist is exclusive to somebody who has either beard or appearance of a Muslim. So mm-hmm. again, that for me is, the word association with Shamima Begum is the same thing. She is just a human. If you strip yeah. her all back, it's, she's just a human. And, you know, yes, she was young and vulnerable and she was... You know, you could use words such as she was groomed and she was molested and she was brainwashed into doing something that she had no understanding of. And now she has understanding. She has repented. She wants to come back and, you know, she wants to try and have some sort of normality, which if you look at it from the eyes of British media will never happen because she will never get the fair words used. It's, It's almost it comes to the territory of being a Muslim that these words barbaric mm. uh, monster you know so many things that she's been uh, she's been labeled and called i mean i don't agree with her outlook and i don't agree with you know her story and i think that okay yes we should bring her here and yes we should trial her and yes she should have a long jail sentence because that is what yeah. the law is that's what's being fair mhm definitely um so we spoke in the past about normal interactions and conversations you've had with your friends and colleagues that have had undertones of casual racism. Would you mind talking about that again for the listeners? Yeah, sure. I mean, as casual racism goes, it's it, it's, it's a difficult one because it's like cloak and dagger kind of thing um, a lot of the time. And I always uh, describe it as like a pre- predetermined mindset. So somebody mm-hmm. like, you know, recently in work, um, it was a call center environment and you know one, one of my one of my friends you know like I regard him as you know somebody who on my lunch breaks or my break times we'd be together and you know back then I used to smoke so we'd go for a cigarette you know we'd go for a walk around the around the block kind of thing you know go and get lunch together and one day I remember he was he's, he's quite an erratic person anyway and I, I guess I'm making excuses for him uh, but I remember he was on the phone to a customer and it was an Asian customer and you know the, the phone call went on and on and on and you could just see him getting more and more disgruntled. And as soon as he got off the phone, he took his headset off and he slammed it against the table. And he looked at me and said, what is it with you people? And I was mm-hmm. shocked. And, you know, there were other colleagues there, other people, you know, who were sat next to me, sat behind me, sat in front of me. And everybody heard it. And everybody yeah. just, just like looked away as if just like, like, oh my God, what has he just said? Mm-hmm. And I, I looked at him and I thought, what do I say to that? I was so startled yeah. because I, this is somebody I, I regard as, you know, my friend or so, uh, at least not a friend, but a colleague that I get along with. You know, we all got them. So yeah. It's like almost favoritism. If you're like, you know, I like these people. We get along. We got things in common. You know, they get me. I get them. That kind yeah. of thing. And for him to say something like that was, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was quite startling because you think, well, if you think like that about me, somebody you know, somebody you spend, you know, 40 plus hours a week with, what do you think of other people who are mm-hmm. like me then? 
Yeah. What about the people who looked away as well? The fact they didn't call him out as well? Um, I think I think in a lot of respects, that again, it's one of those things where you just grow up to, you learn to expect that. You won't expect somebody to defend your position, if you like. Um, I didn't expect anybody to say anything on my behalf because... You know, I'm sure they, they, they know me in the sense that if it was, you know, random people who have never met me, who are not aware of my personality or what kind of person I am, uh, I'm not an introverted person. So I would, if I, there was something to say, I would say it. Yeah. So I'm sure if it was somebody else in my position and other people had heard, I'm sure at least one person would have said something like, oh, you can't say that. or. Mm. Uh, but because it was me and they all know me as, you know, as a person who is quite opinionated, if you like. They didn't, they, nobody said anything. Yeah. So how do you feel the portrayal of Muslims in the media affect Muslims living in the UK? It's difficult because in some ways I want to just say that it doesn't affect them because they have their own communities and they have their own, uh, they have their own system or their own way. But then at the same time, that's not the way forward, is it? You know, we want to be in an integrated society. We want to, you know, live as one kind of thing. And you yeah. can't do that in that way. I think growing up and living in a British society in the modern day, it is really difficult. Um, it is really difficult in the sense that it's predetermined mindset. People have already have so much misinformation. And said, like, you know, with freedom of speech and with uh, social mm. media, you're fed you can be fed so much hatred and so much negative information about somebody that you already have this predetermined mindset of this person or this person of color or this person who's a muslim i already know what they're about and i but you really don't because each individual is different it's the same like if you go back mm. to like you know lgbtq like their kind of hardships that they had with people always associating people who are you know of lgbtq you know I remember a time when pe people would say that they're, you know, like with like infections and HIV and things like that, that was predominantly gay problem, but it wasn't. Yeah. But it wasn't at all. But people had the mindset that it was. So yeah. just like with Muslims, they think, okay, well, well, they're Muslim, you know, they're not going to want to come out or they're not going to, you know, want to speak to us or they're not going to want to, but they're just normal human beings. They're just the same as you. Yes, maybe their appearance is different. Or maybe, yes, they might pray five times a day, but that doesn't make them any less capable of going out for food with you or having a yeah. conversation with you or jogging with you. Um, but it's difficult because you as a Muslim, you feel like you're stuck between two worlds and you think, okay, well, do I, am I welcome? You always, that's what you always feel. And you always feel apologetic and you feel like you should be mm -hmm. apologizing when really there's nothing to apologize about because yeah you know as far as i'm concerned in my uh, whole lineage or my uh, you know my ancestors nobody's been a terrorist or nobody's ever committed a crime i don't think in my family yeah. or my you know my granddad's generation or xyz but why should so why should i feel like i have to apologize for being a muslim when i'm exactly you know i've been to you know we've spoken about this before actually about you know going to small towns in england where you know, my partner, she, she works, uh, you know, all around these small towns and things. And I've been, you know, to these towns and walked around the shops and walked around the shopping arcade. And you do just get people who look at, to look at people, we all do it. We all look at somebody, whether mm. they're interesting, whether they're attractive, whether they, you know, look like they might need help. We always look at people. That's just yeah. human nature. But to look at somebody and then to stare 
that is a difference. I think mm. when you're of a different skin color or you appear as a Muslim, you're a threat or people are intimidated or people, some people are genuinely curious. Yeah. Uh, what are you doing here? You know, like that kind of look that you get. Um, but it makes you uncomfortable. It does because to look at me is to look at me and I will look back and think, okay, hi, you know, smile and move as you do, do mm. the pleasantries. But then when I look back and you're still staring at me, then it makes me feel like oh, there's no reason for you to be staring at me. I look like the next person over there. Yeah. The only difference is my skin colour or that mm. I appear to be uh, not white. I think we discussed this, didn't we, with... Um, you said you were shopping with your mum yeah. as well. Yeah. When Do you find it hard to kind of bite your tongue and not react oh, so in those situations? When it's, when it's people like my mum, my nan... Yeah, you know, my, my my granddad recently passed away, but when it was my granddad or but my dad, I feel a different sense of, like, I have to protect them almost. And I have yeah. to, like, stand up for them because my mum is passive. She wouldn't, she wouldn't, you know, get into an argument. Uh, she would probably wouldn't, you know, ever stand up for her own identity. She would just say okay and just walk away. Mm. Although my mum is capable of standing up for herself and she's capable of having an, a discussion or an argument or shouting or something, just like any other person um but yeah when it when it comes down to people like yeah my mom then yeah I'm, i feel really defensive about it i don't feel like i have to stand up for them if you like because the perception is that they that they're just not the same they're not human almost yeah do you think that perhaps the portrayal of you know, Muslim characters in films and stuff, that influences the way people view Muslims as almost oh, inhuman. absolutely, yeah. I mean, yes, uh, that's the, the, that's something that I'm passionate about as well because, you know, like any sort of TV show that you watch these days with any sort of like polit political agenda or any movies that you watch with any sort of like action hero, then the bad mm. person is always portrayed or nine times out of ten is portrayed as... A Middle Eastern or an Asian or a person of brown skin who's always male, who's always got a beard, who's always wearing a rucksack and who's always mm -hmm. about to blow something up. Um, yeah. And that for me is, it, it's almost borderline. Again, going back to the thing of you just accept it because you think, okay, well, in a way, I think it's like, this is going to be really hard to say, but in a way you almost think, well, we deserve it. But why do we deserve but you don't, it? Yeah, but, yeah but, but then you... you growing up in the uk you're conditioned to think well you deserve it because these are your people and mm -hmm. yeah in a community environment or in an environment of like islam or in an environment of family then yeah these are my people they are my people yeah. yes but am i accountable for my people there's two billion muslims am i accountable for two billion muslims no i'm not and no yeah. other muslim is accountable for another you know and that's in religious teaching but religious teaching is you know it's it's so deep and so it's like with any religion or anything that you can believe in it's each yeah. individual has its own perception of it or what you exactly. read is how you take it in kind of thing well there's two billion muslims not everyone's going to be the yeah. exact same is it? exactly but i think you know with the majority like growing up in this country or you know being in this society i think you you do feel responsible for you know, even out of the two billion Muslims, how many, what's the percentage of them that are terrorists, even if it's one percent, you know? If that, yeah. Yeah, so that you feel accountable for that one percent or you feel like the other 99 percent are accountable for that one percent when you shouldn't because it's mm. not, it's not, it's, it's not, a, it's not a issue where 
like I said, in, in my lifetime, in my history, in my lineage, I don't know of anybody who's really broken. They, they, you know, they're too afraid to break laws, and they're too, you know, they wouldn't. Yeah. You know, but again, it's it's because of like portrayal of like in movies and in even in EastEnders, for example. But EastEnders, I think they do like a fair representation of like Muslims in modern day Islam. And I, I think it is changing a bit yeah, now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they give you the like, you know, you see people in there who are actually human. Like we went to watch a show. Um, Everybody's talking about Jamie. Everybody's talking about yeah. Jamie, and I was almost in tears and it was it was so weird mm. because there were you know if you've ever watched the stage show everybody loves jamie the first show i ever went to went to see brilliant yeah. and um i was with you uh with ria and the, the family yeah and i was just so taken aback by the portrayal of the two uh, muslim girls in hijab because they were actually portrayed to be human yeah just normal natural young people and exactly. that is so rare to find. And as well, I thought the fact that they were Muslims and they were wearing, you know, hijabs and stuff, but they didn't make the show about the fact they were wearing hijabs yeah. or the fact they were Muslims. They were yeah. just normal yeah, just people integrated. in the school, you yeah. know? It's just natural, as yeah. it should be. Because they're human and, you know, like, what, what really took me back was, yeah, just that fact where they weren't made to feel special or made to feel what they were just normal because that's mm. what we are we're just normal and we're all human and it doesn't matter where you're from what your beliefs are you should all have a level playing field and yeah you know i know muslim yeah. people who are horrible people and i also know white people who are horrible people i also know black people yeah. who are horrible people but you can't blanket them and say you know just because one of them is bad the rest i know people who are who are muslims who are fantastic people i know white people who Definitely. are fantastic i know black people yellow people brown people you name it i know you you me and everyone else you will always meet mm. somebody who will change your opinion yeah so don't have a solid opinion on somebody because you'll meet somebody who's going to change that yeah and if you don't meet somebody then get out more <laughs> there's actually um a book on amazon and it's I think it's 50 Muslims who changed the world yeah. and it's a children's book and I think those kind of books should be put in schools just as like you know regular library books and sure. it's just like illustrate illustrative books of all these amazing things that Muslim people did you know sure like as you know like if you know podcasting you know the guilty feminist you know Deborah Francis White somebody I listened to not out of <laughs> choice in the beginning but now i genuinely do think that you know some mm. of the things she says and some of the ways of thinking she introduced to me it was yeah. like unlearning what a big word unlearning so, so to unlearn something it takes yeah. a long time uh, I, I think it's, 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 it's the same for me like you know some things that i might know or think i know i have to unlearn them to think no that's not the way it is this is the way it is and i think that's a, a really important factor in like young people's education going forward um, is to unlearn things. So, you know, things that we learned off social media about, you know, like untrue facts, for example, you know, misleading information. You have to unlearn them before you can learn that, yeah, Muslims are just normal humans. Um, yeah. They actually have feelings and they actually, you know, do want to be a part of things and they do want to integrate and they do want to go to the gym and they do want to go for a run and they do, they, you know, mm -hmm. they, you know, but the preconceptions have to go away and we have to unlearn those preconceptions. Sorry, Deborah Francis White, stealing your word. So, Ix, where do you see the difference in the integration of Muslims across different generations? For example, your grandparents, your parents' generations, compared to your generation? 
I mean, integration, it's very individual as well, I think. Uh, but overall, mm. I think um, for my grandparents, from what I know, uh, from what I've heard from them, I think integrating into the British society, the British way of life was easier in their day. Um, I think this was just due to the fact that people were more patient and people had less information um, about others. So to find out about your neighbour, you'd have to go knock their door and find out about your neighbour. Whereas now you could just Google or you could just find them on Facebook or you could or already know pretty much what they're about, what their background is, uh, etc. Um, mm. So for my grandparents, I think it was easier to integrate. Uh, for my parents, it's probably a little bit more difficult. And then that goes on to my generation, which is even more so difficult. So, um, yeah, my parents, yeah. I think they found it quite difficult um, in, in, in the sense that obviously it was hard to find your identity um, because they came here at quite a young age. My mum came here when she was 14. Yeah. And like to find your identity, you know, as a 14 year old boy or girl or whatever you might be, um, it's difficult because you're just learning. You're learning yourself, you're learning your ways and then you're, you know, in a new country, in a different country, different language, different climate, Mm. different food. Um, uh, So yeah, it's it's, again, back to the key word for me. Uh, I probably had to relearn a lot of things. Yeah. Do you think that as well, relearning, as well you're talking about unlearning, do you think that that might be an older generation thing, that they need to unlearn a lot of the stuff they've been taught? Yes, for sure. And that's just not, uh, that that doesn't just strictly, you know, mean, you know, British people, I think, like, you know, a lot of Asian people. And obviously there's a difference between British and Asian and Asian and Muslim Mm. and British and christian people because religion and culture are two separate things mm. um i think that's a that, that's a common misconception as well in modern day society that you know religion and culture are completely two different things yes as a person with a different culture like for me um, my culture is bangladeshi my heritage is bangladeshi mm. but i'm also muslim it is really difficult because sometimes they cross and they shouldn't they should run parallel and never cross yeah um, but unfortunately they do they cross and but yeah, that for integrations, uh, for for integration to work, for like us as you know the new generation or the newer generation coming along now, um yeah, it's it's becoming more difficult to integrate just because of preconceptions and misinformations and you know you already tarnished, aren't you? Really, as a Muslim, you're you know you're you know you're associated with terrorism all the time. You're associated with uh, negative things. So who's gonna be who's gonna want to be your friend, really? Mm. So, what are the changes that you think could be made to make society more inclusive of Islam and Muslims in general? I think, uh, you know, like a lot of people do say, you know, we're really accept, uh, you know, accepting country and, you know, we accept things and, you know, which, which we do. Uh, which, you know, being born and brought up here, we do. We do accept people's differences and people's differences yeah. in belief and differences in opinion, differences in clothing, differences in hairstyles differences in music but ultimately the thing that I find difficult is yes we accept things but we have a bias and bias it, it's not fair that's you know the, the definition of bias it, it is to be unfair mm-hmm. um, I think Muslims are biased they have hev- heavily so if you're a Muslim there's a negative bias already as I said it's like word association again um, so you know if you tell if you met somebody it, it, you know, in a bar, in the gym, 
on the street in Tesco, they say, you know, oh, I'm a Muslim. And you're instantly going to think, you know, many things about that Muslim. You're going to think, oh, well, you know, most of them are going to be bad, I think. They were, I don't yeah. think there'll be a positive connotation like, oh, wow, so you fast, you know, 31 days of the year or 30 days of the year, depending on your calendar, lunar month. Uh, you know, you celebrate Eid twice a, twice a year, that's amazing. But you won't think good things, you'll only think of the bad. Yeah. So I think that makes integration really difficult. And why? I think it's because of misinformation and information that is uh, biased with hatred towards Muslims, otherwise known as Islamophobia. How do you think activism fits into modern society? I think activism is so important. I mean, without like, you know, there's people who are, you know, 70, 80 who still are, you know, activists and who are fighting for change and fighting for, you know, education and fighting for people to have equal rights. And I think activism, it's a must. It has to, people should all be, you know, an activist in one way, shape or form and at least, you know, in one way of their life where they feel there's an injustice or there's a smaller person who needs representation or, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the way forward, I think. And I think, you know, if people with the right mindset and with a good balance of an understanding of people and an education of people, I think, you know, activism is the way forward to eliminate things like the EDL and eliminate, you know, hatred yeah. like ter Islamic terrorism and things like that, because education through activism is, it's, it's such a powerful tool. Exactly, definitely. What are your social media handles so that our listeners can find you? <laughs> um, in terms of my social media handles, um, well, I pro predominantly use Instagram, I suppose. So that's my name, which is Icky, or well, my nickname, Icky, I-K-K-I, <laughs> and uh, just with the A, so Icky A uh, for my surname, Ahmed. But yeah, Icky A. Cool. Thank you so, so much, Icky, for joining us today. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Yes, Kate. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Take care. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Modern Activist podcast. Thank you once again, Iqbal Ahmed, for joining us. Please follow us on Instagram at the Modern Activist podcast and rate and review us five stars because it helps others find the podcast. If you can, please donate a meal via the Share the Meal app. It costs only 65p to feed a hungry child for the day. Following the devastating events in Beirut, the World Food Programme has been fast to get on the ground and support the vulnerable families in Lebanon. This explosion in the capital left thousands injured and even more homeless. WFP is allocating food parcels to families affected by the blast and communal kitchens. Please donate what you can to help save lives. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next week.